Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to be here with you. Um, nice and warm in here, isn't it? Feels a little, little normal outside, unfortunately. Uh, but welcome. Uh, glad you're here with us. Why don't you stand and sing our first song?
Please have a seat. Hey, good morning, everyone. If you don't know me or, or don't recognize me at all, my name is Mike, and um, I was one of the pastors on staff here for about 15 years. These days, I am introduced as Kara's husband, and uh, more often than not, and I'm proud to have that role. Hey, it's always good to come back here home to uh, Kettlebrook Church. If I slip up and say Elmbrook Church, it's because I developed new habits and patterns. I have been at Elmbrook Church and have given a benediction to my friends and family of Kettlebrook Church. And, and everybody kind of came, came up to me and they're like, Kettlebrook, that was, that was interesting. That was interesting. But, um, but it is good to be here. Some of you might be wondering, you know, what actually is it like to have two mission pastors under one roof? of one house. In a word, nuts. It it's, sometimes gets a little crazy. This is what our schedule is like in the, the past few days and the next few days. Uh, Wednesday night, I was down uh, at the International Cultural Center, uh, which is an outreach that we have in, in the Milwaukee near the airport, and Kara was at the airport. She was receiving her first Afghan refugee family that was arriving at the airport. And so she calls me up and she says, hey, this new family's coming in from, you know, Afghanistan, and can you go to the halal meat market while you're down there near the airport to pick up some halal meat for this family? So I ran to the halal meat market, got a cooler full of halal meat for this Muslim family, and then after my lessons with these Rohingya refugees, uh, children, high school kids, uh, I drove that up back here to West Bend to deliver the, the meat. After I'm done here, tomorrow I leave for, uh, for nine days in Spain, and I'll be in Spain visiting field workers and, and missionaries there in Spain. I get back the day before Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving, Kara is hoping to go to uh, take a trip to southern Russia for, to visit a place that you all have been praying for for years now. And then when she gets back from that, I'm going to take a trip to Tajikistan and go do some training with, with Dave Heidenreich in Tajikistan. So Kara and I actually we do like being with one another, but our son Matthew is such a party animal. Somebody has to stay home and make sure that he, you know, behaves himself in, in the meantime. So it's, it's just uh, a lot of fun, and we love doing what we're doing. But hey, today is Sunday, and Sunday means football, right? That's, it's it's going to be a big football day. And if you're like me, you probably love watching those climactic moments on, on the television, the, those replays. You know the big plays, the game-changing plays, the game-winning plays that they play on the reels over and over and over again where the guy, you know, catches the touchdown with one hand, you know, in the end zone and stuff like that, and they keep on playing. But the, the parts of the football game that are, is really intriguing to me, that's really kind of curious to me, are the ones they don't show, are the ones they, they can't show on television. They're the halftime locker room meeting, all right? Have you ever wondered what goes on in the locker room during halftime? Like, what does Matt LaFleur say to the Packers, like last week, when they're down at halftime, and what, you know, how does he kind of get the, the, get the group going, get the team going, you know, get them all, you know, charged up and ready to go? That's, that's always curious to me, because you know that he has, like, one chance He's only got those, you know, 10, 15 minutes or whatever he gets in that halftime locker room point to, to really charge up 
the troops. And he's got to communicate, and he's got to communicate clearly and compellingly and effectively and make sure that they don't miss it at all. Some of you may remember the, uh, the Packers versus the Detroit game in 2015. It was week 13, and Green Bay and Detroit were both attempting to make it into the playoffs. So this, this was, had enormous implications for both teams. Uh, and the game started with the Lions scoring 17 points in the first quarter. And then going into the halftime, it was still 17-0. Packers were down. And at that time, the coach, Mike McCarthy, has to go into that locker room and he has to communicate to his team in a compelling way and make sure that there's no doubt, no room for any kind of misunderstanding as to what his expectations are for his players. Now, if you remember that game, the Packers end up pulling it off and they end up coming out of the locker room and they end up winning against the Packers 27-17. If you remember, that was, that was the Rodgers-Rodgers connection, you know, back, it, it was wonderful. So anyways, I, di I digress. I digress, okay? But we all have those kind of moments, those kind of locker room type moments where everything is on the line and the future runs in, is, lies in balance. And for you, it may not be a halftime locker room pitch that you have to give to your team. For you, it might be uh, dropping off a freshman at school, at, you know, college type of day, where you're dropping off your college, your, your, your son or your daughter at college for the first time, and you want them to remember everything that you've ever taught them in life. And you're like, okay, you know, be sure to brush your teeth and study hard and, you know, and, and don't do what I did when I was in college. And, you know, and just, you're doing, you want them to remember everything in that one moment because you're like, the whole future hangs in balance and is in, on the line and stuff like that. So you want to, you want to be compelling. You want to be inspiring. You want them to remember everything that you said in that moment. Jesus kind of had a moment like this with his disciples. Kind of like a clutch halftime locker room situation or a leaving your kid at the dorm room type of situation. And actually, not really a moment, but really a season to be exact. 40 days to be really specific. Right after he rose from the dead, where if there's ever a time where he needed to be exceedingly clear, where he needed to be absolutely certain that there is no room for error, no room for misunderstanding or misinterpretation or anything like that, of what his instructions were and what his expectations were for his followers, this, that he needed his players to kind of come out of that locker room and to execute and to perform at their highest potential, then this was it. So the background of the situation is this. Okay, Jesus has just died and he's, he's been crucified. He's buried in a tomb. Three days later, he's risen again. And amazingly, he is seen numerous times by those who followed him. And we have several recorded instances of what he actually said to his disciples in those kind of locker room moments, when he appears to them in bodily form uh, for those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Now, for Jesus, this is the locker room moment. Okay, he has only has a limited amount of time and opportunity to make sure these misfits get it right. Okay, up until this time, They've kind of fumbled the ball a little bit, you know. Peter, you know, denied it three times that he even knew him at his arrest. They all abandoned him, you know, when he, when he was arrested. But now he needs these guys to go out and to perform 
and to execute at their highest level. And so now he needs to be exceedingly clear and leave no room for ambiguity or misunderstanding. He wants them to know and remember this one thing. And so he has to repeat this one thing over and over and over again. So what I want to do is I just want to kind of walk through these 40 days that Jesus has with his disciples, look at kind of the appearances that he had with his, with his disciples, and see what does Jesus say to his disciples in this kind of locker room moment. So the first count that we have chronologically of Jesus with the disciples is probably in the book of John. And in John chapter 20, he's already appeared to Mary. He's probably appeared to Mary Magdalene. He's told her to go get the disciples together and tell them that, that, uh, that he's risen from the dead. And so now all the disciples are together. There's 10 of them. They did have 12. And Judas is gone. And at, for whatever reason, Thomas is gone as well. I think he's at Chick-fil-A at this point. So, but, but, so Thomas is gone. So there's 10 of them. There's 10 of them together. And, and this is day one. This is day one of the resurrection. It's evening, and this is what he says to his disciples in John 20, verses 19 to 21. I think we have it up on the screen there as well. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And this is, then what, this is what he says to them. Again, Jesus said to them, peace with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Jesus is saying that in the same way that God sent him into the world, Jesus is now sending his disciples into the world. Which is interesting because 40 times in the book of John, Jesus says that he is sent into the world. And now here on the 40th time, he's saying, as the Father has sent me, now, guess what? It's your turn. I am sending you. So in the same way that God sent Jesus into the world, Jesus is now sending us into the world. Which begs the question, how exactly was Jesus sent into the world? In John 6, 38, Jesus said this, that God sent his son into, into, or he said, I have not come down from heaven to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So Jesus came into the world not to do his own will, not on his own agenda, but he came down to do the will of his heavenly father. And then in John 3, 17, it says, God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God sent his son Jesus into the world to do his will, and his will is that the world would be saved through him. Now, when John uses this word world, what he really means, this Greek word is very specific, what he really means is the world. Okay, he means everyone in the world, not just Jewish people, not just middle-class white suburbanites, but Everyone, everyone there is to hear, is to be to hear this news of Jesus. And now he's saying that we're sent, every one of us, into the world in the same way that Jesus was sent. Not to do our will, not to be on our agenda, but to be on God's agenda. And his agenda for the world is that the world would hear this message of salvation for all people. So we've on a, we're on a commission sent into the world. 
we're also sent in the world with a message for all nations. On that same night, Luke gives us his account of what happens in that kind of upper room. And he gives a slightly different con uh, conversation. In Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 48, he sa it says this. This is speaking of Jesus. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be filled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all what? To all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, he says, you are witnesses at these things. So we are sent into the world with a message for all the nations. Now, this word, to all the nations, the Greek word is pantata ethne. The word ethne is the word where we get ethnicity from, or ethnic foods, or something like that. It really means people groups. It doesn't mean geopolitical entities like Italy and Greece or Hungary, stuff like that. It's talking about specific people groups. Like we would talk about, you know, the Sioux Nation or the Ojibwa Nation. They're, they're a people group. And there are people groups all over the world that have yet to hear about Jesus Christ. And he's saying that we are sent and that he wants this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins to penetrate all people groups. Now, do you think that this has any bearing at all on us as a local church today? Are Jesus' instructions here in Luke chapter 24, are they still authoritative for the church? Do they still have bearing? Yes, I would, I would argue that they do. And, and they're still binding and they have kind of an expectation, uh, you know, this, this expectation hasn't kind of fallen off the plate, as it were. It's still binding on the church today. We have been entrusted with this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins, and it's to be passed on to other people. Some of you may remember this story. I think I've told it before, but when we were in Russia, we had a young couple who uh, were members of our church. They received Christ and um, they were professional athletes. They actually worked for the government as professional cross-country skiers. Isn't that a cool job to have, right? You're a professional cross-country skier. And, um, and when the Olympics in 2014 came to Russia, came to Sochi, Russia, they took the Olympic torch and they went, took it all throughout Russia. They passed it around all 10 time zones of Russia. They took it to the top of Mount Elbrus, which is the tallest mountain in all of Europe. They took it to the bottom of Lake Baikal, which is the deepest lake in the entire world. They took it up to the Russian space station and stuff like that. They took it to every major city in, in, in Russia. And when the Olympic torch got, went through the city of Irkutsk, the city that we lived in, Luda got a chance to run with the torch. So she's a professional athlete. I think we have a picture. There's Luda. She's running with the torch, right? Okay, so she's got the Olympic torch. What is her whole purpose in running with the torch? What is she supposed to do with it? Hand it off, right, to the next person. She's supposed to hand the torch to the next person. Now, what if Luda took that torch and she said, I really like this torch. I think, I think I'm going to take this torch home. I think I'm going to put it up on my mantle and my, on my fireplace, and I'm just going to enjoy its light and its warmth and its fire and stuff like that. What do you think would happen to Luda if she did that? 
She would be public enemy number one. They would be like, Luda, you dummy. The whole reason you've been given the torch is to pass it on to somebody else. That's, why you're, that's the whole reason you're given it. You're supposed to pass it on. And friends and family of Kettlebrook Church, we have all been given the torch of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the whole reason we've been given that torch is to pass it on to somebody else. The gospel has come to you because it's on its way to somebody else. And what we like to do so often is we take the torch of the, of the gospel home with us and we're like, I, I like this. I think I'm going to study this. I think I'm going to just enjoy this. And we do all sorts of things with the good news, but we never do the one thing that was meant to do with the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what? Pass it on to somebody else. Now, eventually we're going to pass it on. Hopefully it's going to get to, an, to another people group. Let me tell you what this kind of looks like. In the 1930s, a group called SIM, it stood for Sudan Inland Mission, sent a group of missionaries to what is now Ethiopia. And in 1936, the, the Italians and Mussolini took over Ethiopia. And they expelled all the missionaries, and they murdered some of them. Some of them were martyred. Some of the missionaries over there were martyred. And the Ethiopian church, while they're under the Italian fascist regime, they said, we have to avenge these missionaries' deaths. And do you know how they decided to avenge their deaths? By planting churches. They said, we're going to avenge their deaths by planting churches and sending out missionaries. And so that's what they did. So under, their, under the, this kind of fascist regime, they began planting churches and discipling others and discipling others. And when the, the, the Italians were kicked out of Ethiopia, the missionaries returned and they found a thriving church that's continuing to thrive to this day. Ethiopia is just a missions-sending, modern-day missions miracle. There's a picture of me up there with some African... Uh, leaders. The guy to my, uh, to, uh, to the right of the picture, to my left, the big guy, his name is Wubashed. Wubashed was a, um, he was a Muslim terrorist. He was training to be uh, in, the, in the Russian camps, or not the Russian camps, he was in, in the Muslim camps to be, to be a terrorist. And while he was there, someone gave him a copy of the scriptures. And he began reading the scriptures just to disprove them because he was anti-Christianity. And as he read the Gospels, he began to fall in love with Jesus. And he was reading them in his barracks one night when his buddies found him. They found him reading, reading the scriptures and they took him and they built a cage out of corrugated tin. And they locked him in that cage in the hot Ethiopian sun. And there they wanted to bake him to death until he recanted. And while he was in there, delirious because of the heat, Jesus appeared to him and gave him a commission to go and spread the good news amongst his people. Miraculously, he escaped from that. I won't get into all of that, but he, he escaped down into the south. He was taken in by some Christians there and, and healed and gathered. And now, Wubashed is training former Muslims in Ethiopia to be missionaries to other Muslims. And I was just talking to Dave about Ethiopia this morning. They are seeing in Ethiopia today an average of two imams and sheikhs 
Muslim leaders coming to faith in Jesus every week in Ethiopia. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? The gospel has come to us because it's on its way going to somebody else. And so, now, Matthew, the book of Matthew, we're going to go get back to the scripture, has an entirely different incident. John 20, 21, the night of the res res resurrection, John 24, probably likely later on that same night. Now, Matthew's event takes place in Galilee. If you look at Matthew chapter 28, it says that the disciples go to Galilee, to the mountain that Jesus told them to go. So, evidently, Jesus had given the disciples a, a kind of this prearranged plan to meet him in Galilee. How far is Galilee from Jerusalem, where the resurrection took place? Trick question, 120 miles, okay? It's about as far from here to O'Hare, okay? No Uber, no bus, no plane. How long does it take to walk from here to O'Hare? About a week, about a week at least. And so the disciples have to go from Jerusalem all the way up to Galilee, and Jesus meets them in Galilee. And in Matthew 28, he meets with them again. Again, this is Jesus' locker room moment. He wants to be clear. He wants them to understand. In Matthew chapter 28, we know this verses very well. Verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So they're in Galilee. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Okay, the word doubt there means to have two minds. They had two minds. They were undecided. But then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's another way of saying, I'm God Almighty. I'm God Almighty. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the end of the age. So we know this really well. This is called the Great Commission, okay? As if all the other commissions are just marginal commissions or mediocre commissions. Actually, they're all great commissions, but this is the one that we know better than, than any of the other ones. The one thing I want us to know and realize here is that the operative word here is to what? Make disciples. It's not even go, it's not even teach, it's not even baptize. Those are all descriptives of this word make disciples. As Jesus, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, as you are going, make disciples. We're all going to go somewhere. So as you're going, as you're going to work, as you're going to visit a neighbor across the street, as you're going to the store, and as you're going, you know, some of you will go to other countries. But as you're going, make disciples of all nations. Panta ta ethne, all nations. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, that he won't return until all of this is accomplished, until all the nations have had a chance to hear. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And now he's here giving us instructions to the church today in embryonic form to go and make disciples of all nations. Are you sensing like a theme here? Are you, are you picking up kind of this recurring pattern, this motif in all of these post-resurrection appearances? As Jesus sits down with his disciples in this locker room moment, he needs to be exceedingly clear about his, what his expectations are coming out of the locker room. 
And this pattern that we see is just a, you know, just a few weeks after, you know, what he said in Jerusalem is to go and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. Now he's saying, go and make disciples of all nations. Finally, we have the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter, in chapter 1, verse 8, we have the same thing. They're, the disciples are now back in Jerusalem, okay? This is at the end of the 40 days that Jesus appeared, okay? So they went from Jerusalem. They went up to Galilee. Jesus says the same thing to them in Galilee. Now they're back in Jerusalem. It's at the end of the 40 days. So this is probably a couple weeks later. And at this time, Jesus comes to them. They gather around and they ask them, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says to them, it's not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and, and you'll be in my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is what I want us to notice about these verses. He's saying, and, and, and. He doesn't say, once you reach Jerusalem, then I want you to go to Judea. Once you reach all of Judea, then I want you to go to Samaria, that place that no one likes to go. It's and. Jesus expected that we would do this simultaneously, not sequentially. Jesus expected that we would continually be doing all four of these regions and not stop until we got to the end of the earth. It's not, you know, we want to reach West Bend here, and then after we reach West Bend, we want to go over to Beaver Dam, and after we reach Beaver Dam, we want to go, you know, to the ends of the earth. Eventually, we'll get to the ends of the earth. He's saying, no, 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 no. You want to be engaged and involved in all four of these regions simultaneously. Now, back when I was a younger Christian, I would read all four of these commissions that Jesus gave to his disciples and think, essentially it's the same conversation that Jesus had, the same event, it's just said four slightly different ways. But what we see here is that Jesus is appearing to his disciples over 40 days and just about every time he speaks to them, he says the same thing, go! Go, go and make disciples of all nations. Go to the nations. Preach repentance and forgiveness of all nations. It's like before Jesus dies and rises from the dead, he talks about all sorts of things. He talks, preaches about the kingdom of God. He tells stories, talking, telling people about God is like he even wades in on certain theological controversies during the day. But after he rises from the dead, it's like he is a one-string fiddle. He's only got one message. And his message is go to the nations. Go, go, go and make disciples and don't stop until the job is done. And let me tell you, the job isn't done. Last time we counted, there's somewhere around 7,000 people groups in the world that have yet to hear the name of Jesus once. Just once. Is that a concern to anybody here? It, sh it should be a concern because it, it represents what is still undone, the task that remains that Jesus gave his church to do. Now, I love what Pam Arlen said last week, if you're here. I was listening. 
You know, I'm, I'm following you guys, okay? You know, Pam Arlen said it this way. I love it. So simple, so easy to remember. A third of the world has said, thank you, Jesus. A third of the world has said, no, thank you, Jesus. And a third of the world has said, who is Jesus? A friend of mine, Saji Lucas, is an Indian church leader, and he goes to villages all over India, and he asks people, he says, he says, do you know Jesus? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know if he lives here. He might live in the next village over. They have never yet heard of the name of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we all need to pack up our bags and change our address and, and go somewhere, okay? I get it. I get it. We're, if there's a fat chance that we're going to do that. But we all have an opportunity to be involved. We all have an opportunity to be involved. We're, you guys are in the middle of this series called Barriers to Discipleship, right? And so you've been talking about all these different barriers to discipleship. You know, lack of time, you know, lack of training, uh, you know, fear or, or, you know, anxiety, stuff like that, that prevents us from, from making disciples. But I want to I propose perhaps the most obvious reason that we don't get engaged in this task of making disciples of all nations. And that's apathy. That's just apathy and indifference. At the end of the day, there's many of us that just don't care. And the word apathy is, a, is an interesting word. It, it, me, it literally means apathos. Pathos means passion. You're not passionate. You don't care about what God cares about. And I think that's the problem with most of us as, as modern-day evangelical Christians is that we have all the right answers. We all are all concerned about having the right doctrine and all the right theological answers and stuff like that. But at the end of the, the day, Jesus is asking us, do you have my heart? Do you care about the things that I care about? Are you passionate about the things that I'm passionate about? Because that's what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I was talking with a, a pastor friend of mine the other day. I couldn't believe it. He's over missions in his church. And I said, I said, you know what you should do? You should really take the perspectives course. And he said, I'm not going to take the perspectives course. And I'm like, why not? He says, because I'm not passionate about it. I'm like, what? How, how can you be a follower of Jesus and not be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about? Jesus rose from the dead. He has these 40 days to have this locker room moment with his disciples and make sure they get it right. And the one thing he says over and over again is, go. Go to the nations. Go to the nations. Don't stop until this message has permeated every single people group in the world. And that means that any legitimate expression of the body of Christ needs to be engaged and involved in this in some way, shape, or form. Now, again, we're not going to change our address, but we can do something about it. I have a friend, his name is Dan. And Dan was a school teacher in the McQuanago School District. And it's so cool. Dan didn't have a clue as to what unreached people groups were. And uh, a few years ago, he heard a speaker come who was from India. And he talked about this whole idea of about the fact that there are people who are going to live their entire life. And they're going to die. And they're not going to hear the word Jesus spoken even once. 
And he had never considered that before. He had never even thought about that before. And then he heard about the fact that there are actually people who are going and, and changing their address so that those people would hear about Jesus. And he said to himself, he said, I can't go. I'm not a speaker or an apostle or anything like that. But I can be engaged. And he began very conscientiously, very deliberately, taking half of his, his giving and giving it towards missions, to overseas missions. And in fact, last year, Dan sold his house. He had his house paid for, sold. He was getting married. His spouse, his wife had a, had a house, so they, we don't need two houses, so let's sell one of them. And they conspired together between the two of them, and they said, we're, whatever we get for this house, we're going to give half of it to missions. Isn't that cool? Like, he's taking half of his profits from the house and giving them to world missions. Because Dan became passionate about the things that God was passionate about. Dan became to, began to care about the things that God cares about. And when I think about you guys here at Kettlebrook Church, the one thing I pray for more often than anything else, not, not that you get your doctrine right, not that you get your theology right, not that you have all the right answers, but that you would have the heart of God. That you would be passionate about the things that God is passionate about. That you would be concerned about the things that God is concerned about. That you would care about the things that God cares about. And what God cares about is that this message of the gospel would get out to every single people group in the world. Let me pray for you. Father God, here we are. We're just a small church in West Bend, Wisconsin. But yet, we know that you invite us into your global and cosmic and eternal plans to see every single people group in the world reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're not going to reach all 7,000 people groups, but we can pray for a few of them. We can pray for a dozen of them. You've led us as a congregation to learn about and know about the people groups in the North Caucasus. And I pray that you would continue to lead and guide the leadership of this church so that we would be able to engage well with what you're doing around the world. And more than that, Father, I pray that the people of Kettlebrook Church would be passionate about the things that you're passionate about, would be concerned about the things that you're concerned about, and that they would care about the people that you care about. And in doing so, we would step into this great adventure that you have for us of seeing every single nation, tribe, and tongue reached with Jesus Christ. Pray this in his name. Amen. So I think we're going to have a couple questions up on the screen. This is our normal turn and talk. So we'll give you maybe three minutes or so. So turn to uh, somebody near you. Uh, if somebody's alone, let's not let anybody be alone. Um, go find somebody to talk with and uh, uh, go ahead and discuss these questions.
Well, usually at a time like this, a speaker will wait till they hear the sound of the voices go down to know when to, like, hey, let's do something different. But I don't hear any voices going down. It's cool to hear you just keep talking and talking and talking. Um, but I do need to stop you and invite you to stand with us. And we're going to respond with a couple more songs.
Please have a seat. Good. Well, good morning. Um, uh, Steve, and uh, here on the staff as well, and want to introduce you to Dave and Rebecca, who are visiting us, uh, came up from Chicagoland. And I get the privilege of interviewing you and asking you a few questions, and I'm the relative newbie here, and there's a lot of us who are new, and you've been part of Kettlebrook for many, many years. So I just wanted to ask you, the first question is, can you briefly tell us about your lives and work that you had in Southeast Asia? And then can tell us a little bit about that. Okay, well it's great to be here with you all and really wonderful to be a part of the service this morning. I feel like it, it's the Lord bringing the message this morning and then our, our participation. So I wanted to start off just by saying in the Sermon on the Mount, we read recently a version of that. Um, that Jesus called people to maturity, and Eugene Peterson in the Bible, the version of the message, he translates Matthew 5, 48 by writing, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up, your kingdom subjects now live like it. So he says, in a word, what I'm saying grow up, your kingdom subjects now live like it. So why we lived in Southeast Asia, it's really because Jesus transformed our lives in such a dramatic way that we started to care about the things that he cared about. Um, he's the king, and he changed our hearts to care for the nation. So we decided to move to a place where people had very few opportunities to learn about the king, and we wanted to give them the opportunity to have their lives transformed by the peace and power and purpose that, that Jesus can give us. Great. And now you're in the Chicagoland area. Can you tell us what that looks like there? Yeah. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah. Before I answer that question, just wanted to say that you guys have been helping us over the years by your prayers. I just read this morning in uh, 1 Corinthians where Paul said that to the Corinthian church, how they had been helping him and his ministry through their prayers. So thank you for that, uh, as well as other ways that you guys have been supporting us. So thank you so much. When Mike and Cara were in Siberia when we were in Indonesia, and we'd been there for a while, and we'd been struggling with the vicissitudes of life in the developing world, and they came back to the U.S., and they said they were going to start a church. And we were like, oh, no, they've sold out. They've lost it. But uh, I'm pretty sure they haven't. Uh, the passion burned strong in them and in this church, and it's awesome to see how this church has grown and all you guys here today. So... Uh, the question was, uh, what are we doing in Chicago? Well, basically, we uh, think of ourselves as having a global ministry, which is an idea that I would recommend to all of you here, um, living globally. That means one foot firmly planted right where you live and another foot trying to figure out what can I do about all that stuff I see on the news that bothers me so much, about some of the stuff that Mike talked about. Uh, so many people still living without the light of Christ. And so we specifically lived on the other side of the Cheddar Curtain in uh, Chicago and Bears country. Uh, that was a joke. Um, for <laughs> They're off this week. There's not a game this week, is there? Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I just had to say that. 
Uh, we specifically lived in Chicago, not because of the Bears, but because uh, of O'Hare Airport and because there's a half a million Muslims living there. And uh, many people, when they hear about Islam or think about Islam, it's a big, scary subject. Um, for us, it's an exciting one because we know that more Muslims have come to Christ in the last 20 years than ever before in history by far. And you just heard a small testimony of that in Mike's sermon about what's happening in Ethiopia. That's just one place. God is doing a new thing in the Muslim world in unbelievable ways, and we're so privileged to be a part of it. Uh, and so we specifically chose to live in Chicago and we'll live and work in some ethnically diverse pockets as well as continue to do things in Southeast Asia. So uh, we actually have an official role uh, in Southeast Asia that we have to continue with as well. So we're living very much one foot here and one foot there. Because of Corona, we haven't done a lot of travel, but we've done a lot of Zooming, my goodness. Uh, so many mornings, first thing we're on Zooms with people in Asia or last thing at night. Uh, instead of TV, we're on Zooms with people in Asia. And now, as uh, countries begin to open up, we'll be doing a lot more traveling. The main thing that we do is we seek to catalyze what we call disciple-making movements. That's movements of people coming to Christ as new disciples and forming new churches. And we call it a movement when there's at least 100 new churches in a certain area that are multiple generation. And um, that's happening. That's happening around the world in, in amazing ways, and we're privileged to be a part of it. Well, and I saw also that you have a couple of tables out in the front, and you'll be there afterwards so people can talk with you, pick up some literature. Because our next question, uh, how can we support you as a family? Uh, how can we be praying for you? So we have four kids, and um, two of them just started college. So we would love appreciation for prayer for them as they transition to college and just that they become mature and complete in Christ. Um, it's, it's different for MKs, so it's a bit of more of a struggle in some ways, yeah. A, a big transition, yeah. Um, I think for the work in Southeast Asia, we would appreciate... Um, okay, so... <laughs> okay, so one of the things that's been exciting about being connected to... Southeast Asia is getting to see some of the transformational things that God is doing in the southern Philippines. So that's a Muslim area where there's actually war oftentimes. And so we're connected with this couple that are part of a national mission agency and through that have been really closely connected to a person that we call a person of peace. So we would love prayer for that ministry where they have over a hundred groups of what Dave was talking about, um, these they're not yet churches, but they're groups of people who are actually looking at the word and studying it and then making applications. Just tell them a little, just, we just want to tell you a tiny bit about this transformation idea about how when people come into Christ, how it makes such a difference in literally in a war-torn situation. So Rebecca is just going to share a couple of things on that. So there's a lady whose name is Annie, and I asked her about three weeks ago, I said, what things have you seen change in people's lives as a result of being a part of these basically Bible studies where they ask a few simple questions and then kind of like you guys did at the end of Mike's talk, you know, how does this apply to you? What are you going to do differently or what's going on in your life? Her answer was people who study are more peaceful. Um, people who study are seen as people who pray and others ask them to pray. 
some of the women's lives have changed in that they don't gossip anymore. And she said some of the women are literally coming out of the mosque, but they're involved in these groups. So they aren't yet committed to Christ, but they are stop, stopping gossiping. They realize that's not, not a good thing. Um, people talk in more mature ways about life, and there's less fighting. She mentioned one couple that fought and argued and literally physically was involved in fighting, and now they've stopped. And then the last thing she said was parents care and assist their children in schoolwork. And I asked her, I was like, before did, did they not care? And she said, oh, no, they didn't care at all. They never came alongside their kids, but now they care. So there's just these beautiful things. They're simple, but they're really powerful. Yeah, and so I was just thinking about Mike's sermon. If you're feeling a little bit like, okay, I admit I don't have that much passion, what really ignites our passion is seeing transformation happen. That's why we wanted to share those thoughts with you. So a couple of prayer requests. Oh, all right. I'll share a couple of prayer requests. Number one, please pray for Southern Philippines where this is happening that we were just talking about. Over 100 groups there before Corona that were getting together and studying the Bible. Some of those had gone on to become churches. Um, we're just not sure exactly what's happening now because of Corona and the war. Um, so uh, please pray for the work down there in Mindanao, South Philippines. It's a war that you never hear about in the news, but it's happening. And then the second area that you might be hearing about in the news a little bit that we're involved in is in Myanmar. And uh, I've been working with a pastor there that leads a network of pastors. And um, since uh, we started a disciple-making movement training, they now have 26 groups with Buddhists. And we're like, wait a minute, we focus on Muslims, but I guess it's okay, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, we're really excited about uh, what's happening there in Burma as well. And obviously that country is just a mess right now. So if you, uh, if you have seen that on the news, please pray for Myanmar or, or the old name Burma. And finally, for Chicago, uh, we have this problem in Chicago where there's lots of Christians, but very few laborers. So maybe that's why Jesus said pray for laborers. We need workers, people to actually engage with lost people, with Muslims, and invite them to study the word of God together. So thanks so much for letting us share, you guys. God bless you. Good, and so I, may I pray for you? Yeah, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for Dave and Rebecca and for all that they're accomplishing. Lord, thank you for how you're using them where they are. Thank you for their work in the Chicago area, Lord, for the DMM studies that are happening, for people like Annie who are leading those. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that they're having a winsome effect, and it's helping families even to be engaged in helping their children with their schoolwork. Lord Jesus, we pray for more and more Muslim people to come to Christ. And Lord, we're so excited about what you're doing in the Philippines. Carry on. Go forward. Lord, do great things there. And then in Myanmar, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. We need so much help there. It's been so atrocious what's happened. And Lord, look at the groups, 26 groups of Buddhists meeting together. Lord, it's beautiful. We're so in awe so in awe of you. Thank you that you would use people like us who are but dust. And why you would ever use us, no idea. But thank you that you do. We're so grateful for that. Thank you. you. Continue to use Dave and Rebecca. Bring them, Lord, all the support they need, prayerfully, financially, all the people to surround them and love them and help them to press on. Lord, we're so thankful for our sister and our brother and for the great privilege that we have to intercede on their behalf, not just now, but daily and to cry out for you for them. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you give us that great privilege to pray for them. It's in your name we've prayed. Amen. And so then I asked Rebecca as well if she would pray for upcoming our perspectives, which is starting January 19th. We'll run through May 11th. It's going to be Wednesday, each Wednesday from 6 to 8.30. Perspectives is fantastic. It's life-changing. Being a newbie here, as I ask you and I hear your stories, people tell me again and again and again, you know what really changed my life? I took perspectives. So I'd like to ask Rebecca to pray for that. God, thank you for your perspective on the world. Thank you that you love all nations, Lord, the whole earth, that you came to save all the people. And Lord, we'd want to pray that you would bless this perspectives class starting in January. God, would you help all the details to come together? Just bring the people that you want to be there, the future laborers, the people who can be blessed by this information. I ask that you would have your way and all the details would come together in such a way that your glory would be greater. Lord, that people would have more of a heart for the nations than before and that people would even have ideas of how to engage in ways here, near and far. So we commit the class to you and thank you so much for Kettlebrook and all the things that this church is involved in and I pray for just continued boldness and courage, but also wisdom and sensitivity to your spirit to follow the things that you're doing here. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much. And our last thought, um, before I give the, the closing, uh, we've been in the Barriers to Discipleship series. Uh, we've talked, this started way back on September 19th, and Troy talked about the Spirit's absence. We talked about fear. We talked about demands of time. We talked about insecurity. And today, Mike touched on apathy. And yet he also underscored that we go. We are disciple makers, makers of di making disciples. So our goal of everyone discipling one in 2021 is still alive and well. And if you need some help with that, uh, we have a slide for that, Aaron, if we can just put that up. Um, you can contact us at info at kettlebrook.org or you can text to 262-346-1040. There it is. God is calling each of us to be involved in discipleship. And uh, if you need some help with that, more conversation about that, please let us know. We'd love to walk and help you with that. Great. If you'll stand then, let's close. Jesus, would you go with us into the world? Would you help us not to be apathetic, but would you open our eyes to the fields that around us are white for harvest, the people around us who we can make a relationship with, the kind word that we can give to start the relationship, and then to invite that person into a friendship and discipleship. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us, we ask. We want to be all yours. Thank you for the challenge that we received today. Thank you for the encouragement and the example that Dave and Rebecca shared Thank you that we get to be part of your kingdom work. We're so grateful. It's in your precious name we've prayed. Amen. If you'd like prayer, hey everyone, the prayer Troy and Ryan here, here want to say thank you so much for gathering with us virtually. We pray that Jesus Christ was lifted up and exalted not only in the space that we are in here, but in the space that you were at as well. 
and want to let you know too if you're viewing us and uh, joining us online outside of our local community uh, we, this in no way is meant to replace that local leadership that local involvement at that church where you are locally we pray that it would uh, supplement it and encourage you to engage more deeply and if you're part of the Kettlebrook family but have been watching online uh, of course you know that you are a gift and a blessing to the body here so we want to make sure you're plugged into a group. If you're not part of a group, please reach out to us and let us know at info at kettlebrook.org. Thanks so much again.